0: Well, Jesus, we have another day ahead of us, and a busy one at that. Work, errands, and basketball, and then dance practices, those are the plans. I am so glad that you're always with me, ever since I asked you into my life. You're glad, too, but you would rather drive than just be a passenger and ride along? I seldom ask you what direction we should go and normally just tell you what we're going to do and then if it doesn't work out, ask you to help me. Hmm. Sometimes you feel like I use you as a GPS and only ask for directions when I'm lost. Wow, that's, uh, that's pretty hard for me to take, but I may have done that quite a bit. Not only that, I get easily distracted, and I'm not really that good a driver. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose you're right about that, too. What? You can make the journey so much better if I just let you drive. I will see more things you desire for me to see and have less anxiety and more joy. Hmm. You don't want to just be part of my life. You want to be in control of my life. You want to drive? Hmm? I need to trust you. You know the roads I should take, and, and even when the roads get rough and, and tough, you are a better driver than I am. Please, will I let you drive? Okay, Jesus. Here's the keys. I'll let you drive. While I'm making my way to the platform, you might want to take out the uh, sermon outline in the worship folder, and uh, someone told me that uh, I might have a record for the most um, blanks in there, so you might want to take out a good ink pen as well. <laughs> so, uh, if you don't catch one uh, or two, we'll, uh, we'll see if we can go back, you can always ask me later. Um making a difference for eternity. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. And Proverbs 16, 9 says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Number one, let Jesus drive. Galatians two twenty says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. It was probably about 12 years ago when I realized that I was the driver in the skit you just saw. I was doing many good things for the Lord, but all the time was just asking the Lord to help me with my agenda for him instead of being totally surrendered to him and being willing to allow Him to take control of my life and guide and direct it as He pleased. My prayers were mostly of the nature, help me to, or just plain help me. I was serving Him, but it was still all about me. God convicted me of this and really challenged me to let Jesus drive. I couldn't say it any better than than a similar testimony from uh, Walter Wilson, who was a physician in a preacher that I'm going to read now his testimony from this book. He says this. There in the quiet of that late hour I said to my I said to the Holy Spirit, "My Lord, I have mistreated you all my Christian life. I have treated you like a servant. When I wanted you, I called for you. When I was about to engage in some work, I beckoned you to come and help me perform my task. I have kept you in the place of a servant." I have sought to use you only as a willing servant to help me in my self-appointed and chosen work. I shall do so no more. Just now I give you this body of mine, from my head to my feet, I give it to you. I give it to you my hands, my limbs, my eyes, and my lips, my brain, all that I am within and without. I hand over to you for you to do whatever you desire. You may send this body to Africa, or you may lay it on bed, a bed with cancer. You may blind the eyes, or send me to the, with your message to Tibet. You may take this body to the Eskimos, or send it to a hospital with pneumonia. It is your body from this moment on. Help yourself to it. Thank you, my Lord. I believe you have accepted it, for in Romans 12, 1, it says I can be acceptable unto God. Thank you again, my Lord, for taking me. We now belong to each other. You see the difference between us running our lives and God running our lives. This is a critical difference. And before you can truly make a difference for eternity, you must surrender your entire being and let Jesus drive. Doing this can lead to great joy. And joy is often referred to as Jesus, others, and then you. Well, let's focus on Jesus for a minute. Who is this Jesus that we want to let drive? The Bible says Jesus is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the holy one, the son of the highest, Emmanuel, lamb of God, prince of life, Lord God almighty, Lord of the tribe of Judah, root of David, word of life, the great I am, the advocate, the way, the truth, and the life, dayspring, Lord of all, Messiah, Son of God, Savior, shepherd, and the bishop of your souls, author and finisher of our faith, the chief cornerstone, the righteous judge, the light of the world, morning star, the head of the church, the chief shepherd, the resurrection, and the life, the alpha and the omega, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the same today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. Well, once we are totally saturated with Jesus and totally focused on what he wants us to do, then we are ready to make a difference for eternity for others. And then lastly, considering ourselves. This brings both us and Jesus great joy. But just because we surrender our lives and let Jesus strive doesn't mean that there will be no opposition to deal with. Satan is alive and well and would like nothing better than to discourage, deter, dissuade, and ultimately attempt to destroy each Christian. That is why we must put on the whole armor of God to defend against him. Ephesians six ten and 11 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in His strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It was reported that Satan had a meeting with his angels where he outlined a 12-step program to defeat Christians. Here's what it was. Number one, keep them busy with non-essential activities. Number two, tempt them to overspend and go into debt. Number three, Make them work long hours to maintain empty lifestyles. Fourth, discourage them from spending family time for when their homes disintegrate, there will be no refuge from work. Fifth, over, overstimulate their minds with televisions, computers, videos, and social media so that they can't hear God speaking to them. Number seven. Number... Number six, excuse me, fill their coffee tables and nightstands with newspapers, magazines, and books so they have no time to read the Bible. Number seven, flood their mailboxes with sweepstakes and promotions and get rich quick schemes, as well as other offers to keep them focused on money and materialism. Eight, put glamorous models on TV and magazine covers to keep them focused on outward appearances. That way they will be dissatisfied with themselves and dissatisfied with their mates. Number nine, make sure couples are too exhausted for physical intimacy. That way they will be tempted to look elsewhere for sexual fulfillment. Ten, emphasize Santa and the Easter bunny and gifts and candy. That way you will divert them from the real meaning of Christmas and Easter. Eleven. Eleven. Involve them in good causes so they won't have time for eternal ones. And number 12, make them self-sufficient. Keep them busy working in their own strength and on their own plans. That way they will never know the joy of God's power working through them. We need to let Jesus drive. It's been said that the, 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 that the word busy can be translated into being under Satan's yoke. Many of us are probably too busy. The average American shops for six hours a week but spends only 40 minutes a week playing or focusing on their children. By the age of 20, the average television viewer has seen one million commercials. More Americans declare bankruptcy each year than students who graduate from four year colleges. The number one reason for divorce in the U.S. is related to financial arguments, strain, and stress. We need to change that. We need to live more intentionally. Live more intentionally. In, two, in 2005, after my heart attack and life flight and all the morphine they could give me, uh, the doctors saved me uh, with and put, inserted two stints in me. And these verses right here, was the first thing after I got into my hospital room that, the, that I read. My Bible just kind of opened up to them. And this is what it says in Psalm 39 four, first through verse 7. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is nothing before you. Every, everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom in vain. They rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. We have already established over the past two weeks that life is short and eternity is forever. What, are we going to do foc- what we're going to focus on today are some very practical ways that each of us can make a difference here on earth that will have eternal ramifications. This list is far from inclusive, but just a few things that God has laid on my heart to communicate to you. First, everything matters because everything counts. And no decision is still a decision. Some of you are probably like me, and when I, ha- when I face something that's very difficult, sometimes I just don't wanna make a decision. I just hope that it will eventually go away. And every once in a while, maybe 10%, sometimes it does. It works itself out. But no decision is still a decision. We we need to make a decision. We need to go forward um, and and do things intentionally. Life is challenging, and many times we allow life to dictate to us which direction we should go and what we should do. We are so busy, we just kind of get through each day. We get up, get the family ready, go to work, go to go to other activities, run the kids here and there, and then come home and fall into bed and and wake up and start to cycle all over. This is what one person had to say. Man sacrifices his health in order to make money. Then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. And then he is so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present The result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he is never going to die and then dies as if he never really lived. Each of us needs to live more intentionally. We need to control life rather than have it control us. Let's look quickly at just a few areas of life that we should probably live more intentionally. Number one. We need to read, meditate, and study the Bible more. We need to make this a top priority. This is basic. This is blocking and tackling, but it's so important. This is where we get fed spiritually. I have a friend who made a decision a while back that each day he does not eat physically until he eats spiritually, spending at least 15 minutes in the Bible. Some days, if he sleeps in or is running late, he doesn't eat until noon. My fear is that if this were some of us, we might possibly starve. Number two, pray more. Another basic thing, but a very high priority. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. And even if you don't really know how to pray, you can simply read some of the prayers in the Bible, including the Lord's Prayer. And pray that back to him and spend time with the Lord in that way. Number three, if married, strengthen your marriage. For many of us, the greatest impact we can have on eternity is living for Christ and influencing our family for him. Please do not take your marriage or your spouse for granted. You need to love them, trust them, constantly forgive them. Respect or submit to them, communicate with them, date them, etc. Marriage needs to be lived more intentionally. Try to figure out your spouse's love language. In other words, what makes them feel happy or appreciated. Now, Pam's love language, my wife's, is is acts of service, and mine is acts, words of affirmation. So earlier in our marriage, when I brought home candy and flowers, I didn't get much gratitude. The flowers die quickly, and the, sh- and the chocolates, while she likes them a lot, make her fat. <laughs> so so I, I couldn't win, you know, but, but I wasn't speaking her love language. But if, but if I do dishes and straighten the house or fold the laundry, she is very appreciative. That's speaking what she loves to, to, to feel that makes her important. As for me, all I need from time to time is for her to tell me I'm a good husband or that she is still glad that she married me almost 40 years ago. Number four, teach your children. Now, this, this also applies to aunts and uncles and grandparents, so it encompasses everyone, but it's focused on it is so important if you're a parent to, to invest and teach your children. You are entrusted from God to influence and mold the minds and lives of your children to make a difference for eternity. Please take this responsibility very seriously Deuteronomy 6 6 to 9 says this and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates One of the one of the most important things we did was probably one of the most difficult to find time to do, and that was number one is family devotions. Excuse me. We were challenged as young parents to have family devotions. Now we were we were not used to that. We we didn't have a lot of understanding of what that meant, but um, and I traveled Monday through Thursday almost every week. Uh, when the kids were growing up in my sales jobs. So we ended up doing this once a week. We, uh, ours was every Friday, and there was age appropriate, always a Bible story or study, a family activity. And I would tell you that this strengthened our family probably more than anything else. The boys really looked forward to it. One of their favorite lessons was walking by faith, where we blindfolded them, and they walked all around our yard and our neighbor's yard, and we had them brush up against fences and, and those kind of things and told them to stop and go a different direction, much like God does to us sometimes. And they ended up in our backyard by our tree, which we planted a candy on. So they remember that well, but they also remember the, the, the context of the, of the story of walking by faith. It was work for Pam and I, but the rewards were outstanding. I've earned some sales awards in my career, but probably one of the highest honors that I've experienced was when, after all these years of family devotions on Friday, our 15- and 17-year-old sons looked at us on a summer Friday night and said, what are we going to do tonight? How about pizza and putt-putt? If you have teens, 15 and 17, a lot of times that's not the first thing on their minds, to be with mom and dad and, and, and do something like that. So we were very grateful. Today, both boys are focused on the Lord and ministering to others, and our family remains very close. So I encourage you, even even twice a month if you can, to set aside time for some family devotions. Number two is music and movies. I encourage you to saturate your children with Christian music videos and movies so that they can still enjoy these things and yet also discern the, the difference between what the world has to offer. They're going to watch movies. They're going to listen to music. So it, it's it's almost like garbage in, garbage out, or Jesus in, Jesus out. Number three, life lessons. What they talked about in Deuteronomy. Talk about God. Explain to them that the reason we're doing this is what pleases God. Give God praise. Praise His creation, every opportunity you, you have. Uh, recently, Dan, my youngest son, suffered from... Radio nerve palsy, where his right arm just wouldn't work. It just hung. And he had evidently damaged the nerve somehow. Well, the doctors really couldn't help him much with the healing process. But uh, most of the time, fortunately, this eventually heals itself and uh, becomes functional again. Well, they prayed every day and night, and, and while it's taken a little over three months, the arm is back to almost as good as old. And um, the whole reason that Dan might have had to endure this could have been to establish the faith in Naomi, his daughter who just turned three. Recently, she put her hand on Dan's shoulder and said, Daddy, the doctors couldn't fix your arm, but God did. He can do things like that, you know. We need to point out how God is working and is part of our everyday lives. Number four. Serve Christ with your children. Include them in your ministry plans and efforts. Don't use that as an excuse to not be able to do something. Excuse me. Uh, if you ever go to a nursing home, the students will appreciate the children of any age more so than you. It's just a fact. They love kids. If, if there are short-term mission trips available, go as a family if possible. Our boys did Meals on Wheels with us, served as a Victory Mission with us, and even we even had an opportunity to go on a two-week European mission trip with the Wana missionaries. If you take a meal to a friend, let them help prepare it, and take it with take them with you. Help a neighbor in need. Teach them to minister and not just be minister unto. Number five, date your children. Give them individual attention apart from the normal routine in life and make them feel special. Once again, this takes more time and energy, but it's very, very important. We did this some with our boys, but today our family practices it on multiple levels. Ben, our oldest son, and Vanessa have four children, and they recently started dating each of them, except for Evelyn, who just turned two, and she will soon be in the rotation. Um, They each look forward to a special time with mom or dad. Beyond that, we as grandparents have have, uh, done the same thing. And time spent is usually a day with us overnight where they get to spend um, special time with special activities and eat special foods at Grandpa and Grandma's house. Even beyond that, the great-grandparents got a little jealous and said, we want in on this. (laughs) And so they've gotten in on the act and the rotation as well. And each of the children is significantly different when they're by themselves one-on-one even if you only have two. Um, they normally just talk, 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 and tell you their thoughts. Sometimes they'll tell you some things that are really interesting. <laughs> um, a story was once told about a parent spending time alone with uh, their nine-year-old son. The parent told the boy some things. The parent told some boy some things that were they were thinking about in uh, trying to prod the son to uh, tell some things that he was thinking about. So his response to them was, uh, did you know that starfish don't have brains or blood? And, and also, um, also he said, and why does that girl at school always hug me and kiss me? <laughs> uh, so now li- listen to how the difference in genders, how there's th- the father responded this way. Starfish don't have brains or blood? <laughs> but if you're the mother... The mother's response was, what is the name of this girl and where does she live? <laughs> Anyhow, and focus on your children. Date them. Make them feel special. It, it, it'll pay great dividends for you and for them. Number six, this, pray for their future spouses. We were challenged to do this when the boys were young. We prayed for years for our, for our boys' spouses. And God has answered our prayers. We have two wonderful Christian mar- women married to our sons, and we are so grateful. Seven, teach them about basic biblical finances. Begin this training as, at a fairly young age. Our boys were three and five when we started them out with three banks. There were actually three coffee cans, uh, and we, we invited them up to give, save, and spend. Now, the minimum plan that I would recommend for you with your children would be a 10-10-80 plan, where 10% is for, uh, for God, 10% is for savings, and 80% is, is for spending. Our boys were more like 25, 25, 50, because we're drivers. And 25% uh, was for God, 25% was for savings, and 50% was for spending. As a result of this training, though, they have both been consistent givers and savers as teens and adults. And, and I also encourage you to teach your children the value of a strong work ethic. I believe we're seeing some of that lacking in our society today. <laughs> Number eight is love them unconditionally. Never compare them in a negative manner to their siblings. It's so easy to say, why can't you be more like your brother or sister? Or I wish you would do this like that, like them. And so try to avoid that. That is very detrimental. Love them unconditionally. God has created them uh, special and we need to love them unconditionally number, number five then back to the, the regular sequence um, determine and use your spiritual gift or gifts this includes your time talents as well as your treasures the Bible says that each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made each of us is totally unique and we have different gifts, aptitudes and abilities we need to use these for the Lord Quick story about my two-year-old granddaughter, who just Evelyn, who just turned two. We really believe that she has the gift of hospitality as well as a mercy. Uh, if you go to the nursery where she when she's in there, uh, her standard pr- standard procedure is to greet you, your child, at the at the at the gate, and take them and show them this is the this is the books, this is the toys. This is, the, this is the, how the door on the house opens up, and she just kind of, she has the gift of hospitality. Further than that, though, she probably has more of the gift, gift of mercy. As recently, a, uh, a girl fell, and she hurt herself, and she was crying. So Evelyn picks her up and puts her arm uh, around her shoulder, much like an athlete on a football field that's being taken off to the sidelines. And she's just beginning to talk, and she says, my daddy. And so she knew exactly what to do. She drug the little girl. I mean, she <laughs> walked, <laughs> walked the little girl over to Ben, who was in the nursery, and, and looked up at him and said, you know what to do, Dad. You pick her up, you hug her, you kiss her, you kiss the boo-boo, and then it, you know, and then everything gets better. And she's also been known that if she can't figure out what to do and somebody's crying, she'll just stand there and cry with you she'll cry with you. So so she definitely has a sensitivity (laughs) along that line. Now we need to use whatever spiritual gifts we have for the kingdom. Whatever God has given to you. It might be organization. It might be teaching. It might be whatever, however God has wired you. You need to give those gifts to him and use those for him. Number six, we need to disciple or mentor someone. Now this goes for all ages. This is not just for the Bible does instruct us that the, the older women are to, to nurture and to train the younger women, and the older men are to do the same to younger men. But say you're in Catalyst, and is there anybody younger than you that you can mentor, that you can reach out to, that you can guide and direct, or even senior high or junior high? There are, stu- there are people that look up to you, that uh, even, with all your, even with all your faults that you, you might think you have, or maybe do have, but um, they, they, they look up to you, and you can, you can make a tremendous difference in their lives. Um, we need to use these, we need to use these um, gifts that we have to mentor. We need to do life with those people. Simply tell your testimony. We need to be there for them, whatever it takes, with the goal of either helping them become a Christian or growing more mature in the faith. Some of you probably heard the story of the starfish, where the starfish are on the beach. Hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of starfish are uh, along a beach, and a little girl is standing there throwing starfish into the water. And a man comes by and kind of scoffs and says, says, you can't, you can't make a difference doing that. What, what difference do you think you can make? And she picks up a starfish and throws it in the water, and says, I made a difference for that one. So each of us have a starfish, maybe multiple starfish. Instead of thinking about what you can't do, consider what you can do. Use your life and your life experiences to minister to someone else. You can make a lot bigger difference than you think. Number seven, reduce or eliminate debt. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Once again, financial strain or stress is still the number one reason cited as a cause for divorce. We're getting ready to have a, a class, which begins in two weeks, called Finance is God's Way. And we're going to explore this topic as well as as well as many others. The class will focus on God's instructions for money and possessions and how to implement those as well as give a biblical, give you a biblical uh, financial worldview. There's a table in the foyer with more information on this. You can also sign up online uh, as well as the table uh, this week and next week. Number eight, break bad habits and develop good habits. Determine, to, meet, determine to, uh, to read more Christian books. Spend less time on the computer or Facebook. Exercise three times a week me. Watch less TV. Do at least one selfless thing a week that benefits something else that gives you no benefit at all. One book that I would highly recommend is this one right here. It's called Money, Possessions, and Eternity from Randy Alcorn. Uh, there's numerous ones in the New Life bookstore. If you uh, desire to pick one up and if we would run out um, for some reason, Linda can order you one to come in in the next week or so. We need to live more intentionally. We also need to give more intentionally. We need to acknowledge that everything comes and belong, comes from and belongs to God. Psalm 24.1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. It all belongs to God, and we are simply stewards or managers of what we have here on earth. Secondly, the church is God's plan here on earth to spread the gospel and needs to be the highest priority for giving. Malachi 3, 8 to 10 says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out so much blessing until there is no more need or you can hardly stand it. Proverbs 3, 8, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now There are about 7 billion people in the world. And it's estimated that about 1.5 billion or approximately 20% are Christians. It is God's people's responsibility to support God's work first and foremost. The priority for us is the church first, then parachurch organizations and other ministries, and then other charitable organizations. The other 5.5 billion non-Christians are not going to do anything to support the kingdom. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I hate cancer, and we support cancer research and, and, and give to cancer. I hate Alzheimer's, and we contribute to fight that disease as well. But first and foremost is the church. That's God's plan. We don't have time to get in a discussion today about tithing versus great grace giving, but suffice it to say that we should seek God regarding this and follow 2 Corinthians 9, 7, which says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. One way to do that is number three. We talked about give, save, spend versus spend, save, and give. Most people in, in, in the world today, they spend first, save second, and give last. And oftentimes, there's nothing left. We need to focus on give, save, spend, where we give first, save second, and spend on ourselves last. We need to reevaluate and restructure our finances. The reality of many people is that they have spent most of their time, energy, and um, finances on three areas, pleasure, possessions, and gaining power, the three Ps. Give, save, spend is the exact opposite of that philosophy. This goes along with the joy that Jesus, others, you that we talked about earlier. A good recommendation would be to establish a maximum amount that you need to live on and then invest the rest for God's kingdom in eternity. I have a friend who gives the same percentage to God's work as the number of years that he and his wife are married. This past year they invested 49% of their income as they celebrated their 49th anniversary. If I were God, I'd let them have a lot more anniversaries. In order to accomplish this, you will need to establish a personal spending plan. This 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 does not just happen. By the way, a personal spending plan is the new terminology, the politically correct terminology for budget. (laughs) If If you take the finances God's way class, we will guide you as to how to create and live by your very own personal spending plan. Number four, invest or give now. You can't take it with you. Have you ever seen a hearse point in u U-Haul? Larry Burkett says this. Do your giving while you're living where you're knowing where it's going. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in, in our love for you, see also that you, can, you also excel in this act of the grace of giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-12. Now, listen to this. This is, this is critical. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so as, ha- so as having all sufficiency in all things at all times so that you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now get this. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only for supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Bottom line, God blesses our income so that we can increase our standard of giving, not our standard of living. And our generosity should not result in thanksgiving to us, even though it came through us, but rather thanksgiving to God. John Piper said this, God is not glorified when we keep for ourselves what we ought to be using to alleviate the misery of the unevangelized, the uneducated, the unmedicated, and the unfed millions. Matthew six eighteen 18-20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but rather treasures in heaven. Our God-given resources, including money and possessions, have immense potential. They are the levers positioned on the fulcrum of life by which we can move mountains for eternity. And Proverbs 22, 9 says, A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares food with the poor. And Proverbs 11, 24, 25, one of my favorite two verses, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withhold unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. And thing, number five, have a will. Have a will. Seventy percent of all Christians do not have wills, it's been estimated. You should really have a will for many reasons, but the most important reason is so that any money and valuable possessions go to where and who you desire. With a will, you have an outstanding opportunity to impact eternity even when you're already in eternity, simply by leaving all a part of your earthly money to God's work. Many people today have at least half a million dollar estates, even if that's just from term life insurance. If we leave all of our money to our children, actually, it could be very detrimental to them. We truly must be cautious that it would not corrupt their character and lifestyle, deactivate their faith and reliance on God, or discourage their work ethic, or even hinder their marriage. To give a significant amount to kingdom work should seriously be considered. A question that Christian parents should consider is, if my children will resent my giving to God's kingdom instead of them, does that mean that they're really not qualified to receive it? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't give anything to your children. Only that investing in God's kingdom through estate planning should always be considered. Well, in closing, I use a verse that Pastor Steve used a couple weeks ago. It's Luke 16, 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. A true story about a couple in our church that went on a New Life mission trip to Uganda. When they were there, they noticed a 14-year-old girl who was cross-eyed and couldn't, couldn't get from place to place without assistance. She had her, sho- her hand on the shoulder of another girl the entire time they were there. This really touched the the woman's heart because for a period of her life, she had been cross-eyed and couldn't get around without assistance herself. Uh, An operation uh, took that away, improved that and reversed that process. So her heart was, her heart was touched. So they went to the administrator and asked, how much would it cost for an operation for this little girl? And they said, oh, very, very expensive. So they gulped and said, well, how much? They said, 900 U.S. dollars. Now, they were thinking a lot higher, okay? They're not, they're not poor. This couple is not poor, and they're not wealthy. But they knew right then that God had put on their hearts to, to pay for this girl's operation. This girl who had really never seen straight her whole life and always needed assistance. I'm, I'm grateful and, and praising God to report that last week, This girl, this Ugandan girl, had that operation. She is now in recovery, but for the first time, she is praising God that she can see. What difference can we make? Each of us might have a starfish. Each of us might have a Ugandan girl. We can make a difference for eternity. Let's review. First of all, we need to let Jesus drive. We need to live more intentionally. We need to give more intentionally. Why? So that each of us can truly make a difference for eternity. So, what has God spoken to you about today? Maybe you are like I was, and and you are still asking Jesus to help you with your agenda rather than his. Or maybe there are areas of your life where you'd like to change so that you can live more intentionally or give more intentionally. We're going to come to the Lord's table in just a few minutes. And as you come to the Lord's table today, just bear your heart and your life to Jesus, who died for you, that you might live for him.